chapter 10, we're just going to look at verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. I titled this message, Show and Tell. Show and tell, because those are two words that are in this text that we're going to talk about tonight. Let me give you a little bit of background. God had made a covenant with Abraham 430-something years ago. While, they were, while, he, while Abraham had left his homeland, God had led him to the land of Canaan. And when God made a covenant with him, God said that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And if you're in Lake Jackson, you may think that's not very many. But if you go out to the countryside, I promise you that the amount of stars in the sky are innumerable. You cannot count them. There's just that many. It's an incredible sight if you've never had an opportunity to be there and to enjoy that. And uh, God promised him that he would have, his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky when as yet he had not yet had any children, and that he would inherit the land that he was presently walking and a sojourner in. God also informed him that before that took place, his descendants would be enslaved in Egypt, and after 400 years, God would bring them back and give them the land that he was presently walking and that God had promised him. Fast forward 430 years later, and God sent a man by the name of Moses to deliver a nation. Remember, Abraham hadn't had any children yet, and now there's a nation. I think there's I think it said there was 600,000 men coming out, so there's probably more than 2 million people that came from Abraham's uh, 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 loins that were direct descendants of Abraham. And God sent a man by the name of Moses to deliver a nation of people that had descended from Abraham. That nation was called Israel, and bring them into the land of Canaan. Moses, at first, uh, was excited to see and experience God, but he was not so excited about God wanting to use him to go back to Egypt to be an instrument to deliver the Israelites from Pharaoh. Since the last time he was in Egypt, they had said they were going to kill him because he had killed somebody else. But God told him, those people are no longer there, and I'm sending you back, and I'm going to go with you. In this text, we have God encouraging Moses to continue the struggle of deliverance for God's people because it didn't go as fast as somehow, and God told him from the very beginning, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and this is what's going to happen. But somehow when God tells you that on the front side of things, you don't think about all that. You think about the, the end point, and, and, and it's a struggle. I, I, somebody had said today, I think it was today, it may have been yesterday, I heard somebody say that it took eight months from the time that Moses went down there to the time that the Israelites actually came out of Egypt. So it was, a, it was like God's going to let our people go, Pharaoh gets upset, things get harder, right? Uh, God sends a, 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 a plague, and uh, Pharaoh uh, says, oh, wow, this is, uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily agree with it, or whatever the case may be, his heart's hardened. Uh, he said, oh, my people can do this, and, and you think, well, he's going to let us go. No, it doesn't happen, and then it just time and time, but God had already told him he was going to do that, and so God's encouraging Moses not to give up, to the people of God not to give up, because God's got Pharaoh right where he wants him. He tells Moses to continue the struggle of deliverance for God's people, and God tells Moses the reason that it's not going as fast as, you, as I could make it go. 
There is a struggle going on here, but it's a purposeful struggle. The reason was because God wanted the Israelites to see God's power demonstrated and poured out against the people that were enslaving Israel, and so that the people of God might see God's works, and in seeing God's works, it would so indelibly be printed on their mind that they were to tell their children and the coming generations of all that God did in delivering the people from Israel. Right? <clears throat> so what we're going to get, I'll just give you, I'll, I'll just give you the, the nutshell right here, and then you guys can leave, and I'll finish if, without anybody here. What, what, what we're going to get to understand is that God wants, in this particular instance, we'll go back and use the past tense, God wanted to show his power so that God's people would talk about his power. Right? What we're going to see is that God still wants to show his power so that God's people will talk about what God has done in demonstrating his power, right? Very simple premise, but something that we have to grasp, something that we have to understand, because even though we might have an awareness of it and we might agree with it, how we practice is not always in agreement with what we're hearing. We need to understand that God is a supernatural God. God loves to do signs, wonders, and miracles. We think that we have to beg God to do signs, wonders, and miracles, but I think oftentimes God is begging us to let him do signs, wonders, and miracles. So what do you mean by that? Well, God works through faith. God works in agreement. God, we are the instruments that God uses. Uh, in fact, I was thinking about this the other day. I was reading something I thought it was really good, that when God rested after six days of creation, God rested, it didn't mean that God stopped working. It just meant that in the rest of God, now the people of God were going to take over where God stopped. Now he was going to work through instruments. He was going to work through people. That was always God's intention. It's never that he stopped working, never that he stopped doing things, but instead of being the direct agent, he was going to become, we were going to have, he was going to have an intermediary called humanity, you and I. But he was going to still work. In fact, Jesus said, my father's still working. How did, the, how did God do his works? Through Christ. How did Jesus say those works were going to continue? Through you and I. Amen. So in this text, God tells Moses, he says, and what I want to highlight here is the first point is, that I may show. Now the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I've hardened his heart, purposely hardened his heart, and the hearts of his servants. For what reason? That I may show these signs of mine before him. Right? God could have got the people out like that. Didn't have to go through all this stuff, but God wanted to demonstrate his power. Not the people. The people didn't want God to demonstrate his power. God wanted to demonstrate his power. Listen to what I'm saying. We tend to think, sometimes people think, you know, um, it, we're all familiar. You may have come out of Baptist church. You may have come out of Methodist church. You may have come. Uh, there's a lot of churches today that don't believe in the power of God. They believe in the power of God, but most of what God did supernaturally happened 
before the, the, uh, the Bible was written and after the Bible was written, uh, that's really not the way God works. God can still do things sovereignly, but it's not the way God works. There's no uh, uh, um, um, gifts of the Spirit. There's no working of miracles, no healings. It's called cessationism. In other words, God doesn't work that way anymore because now we have the Bible, right? And so we don't want to, God can do sovereignly anything. It doesn't mean you can't pray and God can't do something sovereignly, but that's not God's modus operandi. It's not the way God's expected. We should expect God to work. But what I want you to see is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and God wants to do this. God wants to show his power. God wants to reveal his grace, his power, his goodness, because this text says that I purposely hardened Pharaoh that I may show these signs, miracles, and wonders to him. I want to demonstrate myself. In this passage, God is deliberately hardening the heart of Pharaoh that he might show his great power and dominion over the enemy of God's people. But we're not only going to see that, so that the people of God can also see who it is that they serve. They want, he wants to show them that in everyday life, in your everyday life, I am a miracle-working yeah. God. Now, God is not just a miracle-working God, God back then. We find that when Jesus walked the earth, Jesus was the exact representation of the Father. So if you wanted to know what God was like, you saw Jesus. And what did Jesus do when he walked the planet? Luke 11, 17 through 23. By the way, this, this message tonight, a lot of scripture in this message, okay? So unless the Lord leads me on a rabbit trail, we're going to be reading a lot of scripture. Luke 11, 17 through 23. But he, knowing their thoughts, we're talking about Jesus, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and, er and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace, but when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusts and divides his Spoiled. And Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Now, why was he having this conversation with the scribes and the Pharisees? Because Jesus was demonstrating the power of God, that the kingdom of God was manifest by boldly and authoritatively, with power, coming against the enemy of our souls and telling him to leave. He was demonstrating his power in everyday life, and it was evident not only in casting out demons, which is the subject here, but also in healing all those who were sick, all those who were lame, all those who were struggling. He was doing all of that to demonstrate the goodness and the power of God. Matthew 4, 23-24, Jesus went around all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness, all kinds of disease among the people, and his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics, and he did what? Healed 
them. Why did he do that? Acts 10, 38. He anointed, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed. Not in this particular case. In Egypt, they were oppressed by Pharaoh. But in this particular instance, we see that the true enemy is not Pharaoh. The true enemy is the devil. He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. Then you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he, not us, God, made a public, not private, public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In what? This death, burial, and resurrection on the, on the day of, uh, 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 that he was uh, on, on what we call Easter Sunday. Right? God, from the very past, same yesterday, today, forever, we see this with Moses, we see this with Jesus, delights to demonstrate his power against the true enemy of our souls, which is the devil. But what we need to realize is that today he doesn't do it unilaterally. He does it through his church. He does it through you and I. But we'll get to that in a minute. But what I want to, 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 to rest on here and I want to uh, it just kind of sear into our brains, into our thought processes, is that this is not our idea, this is God's idea. God's idea. Why did Jesus constantly bring healing and deliverance to the people of God through signs, wonders, and miracles? Because in doing so, he was demonstrating his authority and power over the enemy, and this demonstration of power brought God glory. How many of y'all want to give glory to the Lord? I want to give glory to God. But sometimes we have this mistaken idea that if we talk about what God has done or talk about what God has done in us and through us, that in some way it's not giving him glory because uh, um, uh, we have some twisted idea that we're exalting ourselves and what God has done in us. But the reality is when you talk about what God has done and only God can do, it brings him glory. It brings him glory. When I, listen, if I pray for somebody and they get healed, I know that it's not me. Because I prayed for thousands of people that didn't get healed. And why did I have to go through that? Why did I have to struggle with it? I don't know, but I can tell you what I learned from that. I learned what I can do. I learned that I can do nothing. And so if somebody does get healed, I haven't done anything different. I'm still believing God. I'm still trusting God. I'm still praying for, uh, for God to do something miraculous. And so if somebody does get healed, how can I take credit for something that there's no way I could do because I couldn't do it before. I couldn't replicate it now. It's only God. God gets the glory. So uh, I, was reading a, I was reading a book uh, about uh, uh, William Branham. 
And regardless of what you may think about him, he, he was an incredible man of God. God used him incredibly. He didn't finish so well, but he, God used him mightily during his lifetime. Incredible miracles that God did through him. And people would come to him and say, are you the one that heals so-and-so? He said, no, I was there, and God prayed. I prayed, but God healed. I didn't heal him. God healed him. And that's what we need to understand, and that's what we need to recognize. When supernatural things happen, as long as we understand and we let other people know that we're not the ones that did it, God did it, it gives God glory. Why would God do something that he doesn't want anybody to know he could just not do it? He does it because he loves people, but also what I want you to see is that in doing so, it demonstrates his goodness. It demonstrates his character, what kind of God he is. And he's not just a God that works in the natural. He's a God that can bend the natural. He can change the natural. He can speak and incredible things can be done. I always remember that, that day I went to go watch a movie. And, uh, and we don't have a card in here that says if you become a member, you can't go to the moving picture show. When I got saved, I used to go, I had to sign a card that said, I'm not going to the moving picture show. Uh, uh, but we don't, we don't require you to do that, right? I would use wisdom on what you go watch, but I went to go watch a movie. And in this movie, they had this incredible technology. There was a guy that had a back problem. It was very relevant to me because the whole time I was in this movie theater, I was worried about my back. And is, am I going to be able to sit through this thing? Am I going to get hurt sitting here that whole time? And there was a guy that had a back problem. So they took him to this place that had this incredible technology. And in this technology, they were able to take a picture of your back. Um, we can do that today, but this was like in living time. And they would do a 3D uh, 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 open right before you and they could expand your back and they could pinpoint exactly what the problem was and they can go in and they could just boop, 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 fix it just like that. And I said, wow, God, that's awesome. What, well, I couldn't wait for something like that to happen. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, I'm better. <laughs> and I thought to myself, yeah! And what was God saying when he said that? He said, you're looking at the future, and maybe what man can hope to do, but no matter what man can do, I'm better. Don't put your hope in what man can do. Put your hope in what God can do. Amen? John 1 and 14, the whole gospel of John, we'll get this here in a minute, was written to give God glory. And it says in John 1 and 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his Glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But here's what you may not know, but there were seven signs in the book of John. John wrote this gospel with the idea of presenting seven signs. Why these signs? Why would he include these signs? Why would he talk about what God was doing? First sign was at the, at the miracle of transformation of water to wine. And John tells us why he wrote this sign. He says, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. Why does God do supernatural works, wonders, and miracles? Because when he does it, it demonstrates and manifests his glory. And the side effect of that, and his disciples believed in him. It deepens, if we see God do these things, it deepens our love and appreciation for him 
and just who he is. What, and remember when Jesus stopped to steal the storm, the disciples said, what kind of man is this? When God does incredible things in our life, I don't know about you, but sometimes I just sit back and go, God, how awesome are you? How awesome. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I'm like, God, where are you? God, do you hear me? Do you know what I'm going through? Do you know the pain? Why is this stuff happening? Sometimes I do that. But then when God moves and God does incredible things, I'm like, God, how awesome are you? Amen? John 11, 3 through 4, was a man that was dead. Another one of the signs that was demonstrated in the Gospel of John, his name was Lazarus. And uh, Jesus didn't purposely didn't go back to where Lazarus was. And um, the sisters of Lazarus sent him a message in verses 3 and 4. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, him who you love, Lazarus, is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. Now don't misread that. Some people say, well, sickness, God can get glory through sickness, not in the sense that you think. No sickness gives God glory. What gave God glory is what God did in defeating sickness and death. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Sickness and death are part of the world that we live in. It's part of the structure of the life that we live. But Jesus came to heal the sick, to destroy death. Now you say, well, we still die. Of course we still die. But death no longer has a taint, a, a, a taint of fear and discouragement and hopelessness to it because we know that Jesus conquered death. Jesus conquered hell and the grave. Oh, death, where is thy uh, victory? Oh, grave, where is thy sting? Why? Because we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. This sickness is not into death, but, the, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Well, how is that going to happen? John eleven thirty eight through 44. Jesus, again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb because Lazarus had died. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it, and Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, his sister, uh, uh, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time he stinks. There is a stench, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, didn't I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? I truly believe that as we begin to believe God for the miraculous, for signs, wonders, and healings, miracles, deliverances, uh, raising from the dead, all these things, as we begin to believe, it's not because we want it done, it's because He wants it done. But as we begin to believe Him, all things are possible to those who believe, I believe we're going to see God do more and more. I've been reading about, I tried to find, I tried to find the quote. I couldn't find it. But I've been reading about the stories of what was happening, happening in Azusa Street when Azusa Street broke out in 1906. And at Azusa Street, there was, um, began to manifest in that place what we call the Shekinah glory. Okay? And basically it's the glory of God, the presence of God. Uh, the kabod of God, and it manifested like a mist. Sometimes it would be like a flame over the, the thing, but inside it would be like a fog, like a mist. Let me camp there for a minute. Remember, Azusa, Shekinah glory, and I'll, I'll explain to you. I think I've seen that one time. I went to a meeting in Pearland, 
a place called Majestic Christian Center, and um, there was a, a, a woman and her husband there. They, had, they were pr prophetic people, they, the, and they had a prophetic ministry. And she used to be a solid gold dancer, and uh, she got saved. And, but she still worshiped the Lord by dancing before him. And she would go into this room. Uh, in fact, we found out that she had gone to the prayer room and for hours was just dancing and worshiping the Lord by dancing before him. When, we, when they took us pastors into that room, because they always have, uh, in, the, in the black church, they, they always honor the, the men of God and they put them in rooms and they take care of them and they bless them and they just treat them real with a lot of respect. I'm not saying other churches don't, but I've seen that a lot in the black churches. They just do that really well. And so they put us in this room where this woman had, and they were going to treat us well and take care of us. And all, I mean, all, you know, just really good. But when I walked in the room, none of that mattered. When I walked in the room, there was this mist. There was this fog, like a cloud. You would almost think that it was produced by a fog machine. It was real. It was, it was tangible. It was this, and I was like, wow, what is that? Well, come to find out, it was the glory of God. It was the Shekinah glory, the mist of God. He said, well, how did that get in there? Because it was manifested through worship. God's presence manifested in a tangible way. And I was like, I was in awe. You know, every once in a while in the morning, I'll open the doors, and I think it's my eyes. But it may not be. I open the doors, turn on the light, and I think I see like a mist in there. You know? But it, at Azusa Street, it was there 24-7 for three and a half years. And in this mist, in this Shekinah glory, sometimes it would get thicker and sometimes it... And in that, incredible miracles would take place. And when they first started praying for people, people would see miracles. But where I'm going with this is that, is that after a while, they, they began to, to expect miracles to happen. It wasn't just, hey, man, this is awesome. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to believe God for a miracle. No, I, you're going to get a miracle today. Did you come in here to get healed? And they were excited. They went to everybody that came in believing that they were going to get healed. And you know what happened? They got healed. I mean, the, the, uh, we just have a couple of people, but just these couple of people, each one of them would say, um, how many, I was there three days uh, a week, and uh, the three days that I was there, I would see personally eight miracles each day that I was there. And then another person was there, and he said, well, I was there like seven days a week, and like every time I was there, I would see four miracles every day that I was there. So 28 miracles, uh, eight times three is 24 miracles, other people. And these are because the, the people are going around. It's not like a structured service like we have right here. They were just, the presence of God was there. People would come in and out. But the people were so excited, they, they, they had such expectation that if somebody in a wheelchair would come in, they would say, you're going to get healed today. They would, and one of the ladies, I think in with Sister Carney or something like that, she would say, well, you got to pray. She reminds me of Gloria. No, it's not faith. If you don't open the, th the, the, the feet rest, you got to lift them up. If you pray for them and you don't open the feet rest, it ain't faith. And, and so they start praying. She said, no, you're doing it wrong. Lift these up and then pray for them. But I can't tell you how many people uh, walked. Uh, uh, they got healed. Uh, Groves were removed. Arms grown. Cancers. That was a lady, by the way. A lady came in holding a cancer. They prayed for her, and the thing just was gone. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Why? Because they began to believe, but then they began to expect. Not just one or two, all of them. This is what's going to happen. 
because it's what God wants to happen. God desires for this to happen. It's not like God doesn't want this to happen. God wants this to be to be the norm for the church, but we get the privilege to believe him for that. I, I want it to be so common for the miraculous to take place, and this is not for my glory. I already told you, I don't get any glory for that. This is all for God's glory, right? I mean, it's not so, so you know, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's for God's glory, and so people can be changed. Every person that gets healed, delivered, set free is a changed life. More than that, it's a changed family. Do you know what the, uh, the real root of the problems in our society is? Broken families. You know how you can bring healing and wholeness to a family? Jesus. And you know how Jesus touches and reaches families by dealing with the problems in their family. And sometimes there's so many families that the big struggle in their families is sickness, disease, addiction, uh, uh, demonic oppression, possession, all those kind of things. And Jesus is saying, I have the answer to that. Anyway, I got off on a rabbit trail. I need to get back. <laughs> Jesus said to her, did not I not say that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? I'm telling you here today, prophetically, if you will believe, you will see the glory of God. Bobby heard me. I don't think anybody else heard me. I'm telling you today, prophetically, I'm not, I feel this urge. If you will believe, you will see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus! You know why he said Lazarus? Because if not, every dead person in the world would have come up. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died in the grave four days, stinks. He probably stunk before he died, but anyway. They didn't have the armor back then. He who had died came out bound, hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Now, why does God want to show his glory? Second point, that you Moses, the people, your children, may tell what God has done. We go back to our text. It says in verse 1, the last part of verse 1 and verse 2, that I may show these signs of mine before him, Pharaoh, that you may tell, now he's talking to Moses and the people of God, that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son, who is your son's son? Your grandkids. Did you know that the grandparents can be instrumental in the grandkids uh, uh, coming to believe and faith and growing in their knowledge of God? Because to be honest with you, sometimes parents, are, they, they're just doing what they need to do to bring the kid up, to provide for them, to, you know, but back, here, back then in this particular time, it was not just the parents and the kids. You have the aunts, the uncles, the grandparents. They were all living together. 
and they all work together to teach them about their faith, about God, about all these kind of things. And what, what we need to learn from this is that God is saying, I'm going to do all this in your sight with Pharaoh so that you can tell your children and your grandchildren, not just there is a God, but the mighty things I have done. My signs, my wonders, I'm adding that, my miracles among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. You know, our kids, they don't need a rational expounding of theology. They need to know the God who saved, healed, and set mom, dad, granddaddy free. How are they going to know that? We got to tell them. Just show and tell. What I want you to see in this text is that God was again purposely hardening, hardening the heart of Pharaoh so that he, God, could demonstrate his power before the people. But the reason he was doing so was that his people would forever talk to their children and grandchildren of the miraculous, wonderful signs and wonders that God did, not just, you know, uh, with somebody else on the other side of the world in China, which is great. We celebrate that. Their testimonies are our testimonies. But what God did before our very are you going to say? The better way to state this so that you can grasp the true meaning of what the Lord is telling Moses for his people to do is that they would recount the miracles that God is doing before them over and over and over and over and over again. I, I, we Just a little microcosm. I, I love to hear stories. And a lot of times when the men are there on uh, Sunday nights, we, we eat together, the men... We have a men's table and a women's table. <laughs> and the men will get together, and I'll say, Bobby, tell them this story. TR, tell them this story. Tell them this story. I've heard the story a bunch of times, but I want to hear it again. Right? And I want to hear it again. And I want to tell you something. Your kids and their kids want to hear the stories again and again. But for some reason, we got to a place where we think, you don't want to hear those things again. I've already told you once. I've already told you twice. You know, it, I need something else. I need something different. Or we need to come up with a new story. But you don't realize how important it is and how much people want to hear the same story again because they relive the story, the miracle, the power, and the Spirit of God moves through that. And we need to understand that God wants us and we need to share the incredible, impactful testimonies that God has done in our lives. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Today we seem to fall prey to the idea that if we talk about what God has done in our lives, we can fall prey to pride or sensationalism. We can also seem to succumb to the idea that we don't talk to people about what God has done because they've already heard it. We need to change the way we think. It's not how God thinks, and it's not how he wants us to think. We need to transform the way we think. Be not conform, but be 
transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. What we need to realize is that God himself wants us to talk about what he has done because in talking about what he's done, it truly gives him glory and he wants us to talk about what he has done in our lives repeatedly. Now here's the other thing, not a topic for this message, but another thing you, you need to understand. When you testify to what God has done in your life, it opens the opportunity for other people to receive that same thing in their life. It creates faith. It's a prophetic atmosphere that, that, that is birthed. When you talk about God healing me, and, and, and you'll see that sometimes uh, every once in a while, if, if somebody gets a healing in their shoulders and, 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 or talks about having a healing in their shoulders, I'll often say, is there anybody else that has a problem with their shoulder? Because of that particular instance, when you testify to what God has done, it creates the opportunity for God prophetically to do it again. So what I'm saying is that not only when we talk about it is, it is it encouraging people, but it actually, if we want to see miracles take place, we need to talk about the miracles that have taken place. Why aren't miracles taking place? Because we're not talking about the miracles that have taken place. Do you know that pulling testimonies out of y'all is like pulling teeth? And I understand. I understand that the greatest, there are two fears that people struggle with. First fear is dying. But an even greater fear than that is speaking in public. So what people have figured out is that if they were going to go to a funeral, they would prefer to be the dead person in the casket than the one speaking at the funeral. I understand that it's hard to talk in public, but I also understand that if you've been impacted by God and God has done something incredible in your life, that overrides fear. We need to practice testifying to what God has done in in our life. Well, pastor, you're a preacher. I'm just like you. The only reason I do what I do is because the Spirit of God helps me. And if the Spirit of God will help me, He will help you too. You hear what I'm saying? What a great contrast to how we often view things and how different are God's ways from the way we've been accustomed to doing things. It's the enemy that wants us to remain silent. God wants us talking and testifying to the good things that he has done. When we do so, his glory is revealed. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. You don't have to preach. All you got to do is testify. Because in testifying, you are preaching. Yes. You want to say something? No, you got to come up here because nobody can hear. It's got got people on the camera, sorry. (laughs) I I need that turned on. Um, The book of Revelation says, um, chapter 12, verse 11, I think if we understood the impact of our testimony and what it does, I mean, we would really probably just do it more often. But it says, Revelation chapter 12, 11, 
They triumphed over him, and that's the enemy. By the blood of the lamb, what Christ did for us, and by the word of their testimony. And there's power. That's the power that breaks people free. And it's not just, I want to hear that story. There is, like you said, there's this freedom in this hearing the power of God. But I, I, I love this. The last part of it is fun, too. It says, they did not love their lives so much. Uh, uh, they did not li love their lives even to the death. This was a different translation. And that is cool. I mentioned that the other day to a friend of mine. It's like some people love their lives so much that they would, you know, do things that they don't, wouldn't want to do, would never, they'd sell out because they want to save themselves. But the real one that God looks at is when we love not our lives, even to the death. That's, that's amazing. As, we, as we've seen already, the purpose of the signs recorded in the book of John were so that God's glory might be revealed. What we don't always put together is that the signs that God did were being retold through the disciples that had witnessed the glory of Jesus demonstrated and was now revealing the glory of God through their testimony. Matthew, the testimony of what he saw. Mark, testimony of what he heard. Uh, uh, Luke, testimony of what he saw. John, testimony of what he saw. We're impacted by their testimony. We weren't there. They were there. But they testified to what they saw, and their testimony is the reason that I'm saved. John 20, 30 through 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Seven signs he wrote about, and he said there were so many more that he could have written. And in another place he says, if I'd have recorded them all, now I don't even think the world could contain. And if you think about in three and a half years, all the miracles that happened in Azusa Street, imagine when Jesus was walking the planet, how many miracles took place. I mean, you just read uh, just some of them. I can imagine it was, it was commonplace. normal. 1 John 1, 1 through 4, that which was from the beginning, John is saying, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, we have seen, we bear witness, and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. We saw it, we're telling it, so that you can see it and tell it. Psalm 78, 1 through 8. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed the law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children. That's what we'll be reading about in Moses. That the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children. 
that they may set their hope in God and not forget, and it doesn't say not forget God, it says and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart right and whose spirit was not faithful to God. So what is, what is he saying there? He said God's desire is that we tell what he has done so that the coming generation can experience this miracle-working God for themselves and that they can come to faith in God and pass it on to their children and their children. There used to be a commercial that says, and they told two people, and they told two people, and they told two people. I think they stole that from the Bible. Right? How does Christianity, how did Christianity grow in Acts? God was doing signs and wonders and miracles through the apostles, and people were talking about it. There was no Facebook. There was no YouTube. There was no uh, megaphones. There was no amplifiers. There was no uh, uh, um, anything that we have today. There was no printed Bibles. You know what they did? They talked about it. What did they talk about? What God had done in their life. I was the, uh, it reminds me of the Gerizim demonia. I was the one, his only message, didn't have a Bible, probably hadn't grown up in the synagogue like everybody else. His only message, I was the one that used to have a legion of demons in my life. And Jesus showed up and look at me now. Right? I was the one they used to call Stumpy. And now they don't call me Stumpy anymore. Why? Jesus showed up, and I can walk. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I want to know that Jesus. I want to know that God. Can, can God do the same for me? Yes, he can. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Would you pray for me? Yes, I will. See, we have this mistaken notion that I'm going to grow the church or our technology is going to grow the church. No, all that can only amplify what we do. We grow the church. And if the church is not growing, it's because we're not talking. Right? Well, Bobby and Anna Joe are talking, or Anna's talking, but what about you? He doesn't say delegated to those. He says, we need to testify. We need to talk about it. We need to tell God what God is doing in our lives. Uh, I think uh, uh, Sister Ruth's been coming here for a little bit, and she's brought one, two, three people, because I, I think she's talking about it. She's talking about what God is doing in her life. Right? Well, I run out of people to talk about. Well, I'll start going to a different restaurant. Right? What do I talk about? I don't want to approach, you don't have to approach somebody with some theology. You don't have to know everything. As I said before, talk about, you've been healed? Talk about your, you know what? I used to be, I used to be in a wheelchair. Well, you're not in a wheelchair now. Why? Well, let me tell you about God. Let me tell you what God has done in my life. Right? You hear what I'm saying? Very simple. I, I, I got more to talk about, but I'm not, I, I'm just wondering if somebody has a testimony that we can stop with. Want to talk about? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> run, AJ, run. 
me as an experience, but what I find is that when people are sharing their testimony, there's an excitement that comes up. I mean, we can hear it on TV, we can read it in books, but when you're talking with somebody about what God did, like when I tell people about my son and his car accident, and I fell on the floor at the hospital and pleaded the blood of Jesus over him. And everybody thought these kids weren't going to live, and they did. My husband. And when I talk about that, I, th there's something that comes up out of you. And it's the Holy Spirit, right? And, it's, and it gets them. It catches them. And that's why we have to find our opportunities and ask the Lord to teach us. What is it? How can I say this? How can I respond to this? What's the best way to open up that conversation? And we just, if we, we ask God and we're seeking for it and we believe in it, it's going to happen. And I love this, this week, there was a conversation going on on a cell phone with my husband and his friend. And each one could barely give the other one time to talk about what had God done in their lives. And, and, that, and I saw it in Pensacola. These people would come, and God would transform them. And I'd go out into the community. They'd be pumping the gas, and they'd be telling this person with, down on the ground, down on the ground at the gas station or at the, at the, at the grocery stores and everything. And it was just why? Because they were so excited. Because when we tell the testimony, you get them. And it comes up in you because you're, you're reliving it, you know? You're going through it. And I just wanted to kind of share that, Pastor, that that's why God wants us to do it for ourselves. So we relive it and we get strengthened, but also they catch it. Thank you. Yes, come on up. Good. Uh, this was a recent testimony. Um, I was the one in the wheelchair, but that's been how many years ago now? It was three, three years ago last Mother's Day. I've been out, up, walking. So, um, but just recently, about three weeks ago, well, actually longer before, longer than that, about a month and a half before three weeks ago. What is that? But um, I, I literally was just struggling. I, I could do anything. I don't care what it was, walk across the yard, and I would just have to bend over. I lived my life for a month and a half with my head down because I kept feeling like I was going to pass out and uh, get so sick. And I just, man, I, could get, I couldn't get over it. I couldn't press through it. I struggled and I struggled and I struggled, and, and I just I felt horrible all the time and then I would have the passing out kind of thing going on and um, so we were up in the hill country came home so I was sick the whole time I was there came home and on a Sunday night Bobby said I'm done with this and so um, he calls the they were having prayer on Sunday night here at the church he calls our prayer partners and he anoints me with oil and he prays for me as they are praying I wake up the next morning 
much improved. Oh, I forgot to tell you this. When I got home, I thought, you know, there's something wrong with me. I mean, really wrong with me. And so I got the little meter that goes on your finger to tell you what your oxygen level was, and mine was 89, right? I think it was 89. When I would get up and move around, it would just keep dropping. <laughs> and so I don't know what the medical problem was, but my Jesus touched me and healed me because that from the time they prayed, I woke up the next morning, and I've just been blowing and going ever since. So I thank God for his healing touch. Amen. Hallelujah. That's awesome. How many of y'all been saved? Wait, I need to get an altar call. There's only three people raising their hand. How many of y'all been saved? You have a testimony. How many of y'all been healed? You have a testimony. How many of y'all been set free of something? You have a testimony. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? Is there anybody that didn't raise their hand? We all have a testimony. When was the last time you shared your testimony? When was the last time you talked to somebody about what God has done in your life? Well, because see, we usually couch talking about God in theology, scripture, and I'm not saying that's not important. Scripture is important. It is. But you don't have to have that to tell somebody about Jesus. You just tell, this is what God has done in my life. This is what God is doing in my life. This is what I have seen in my life and in my family. And that testimony that she just shared with you, that excited you, didn't it? That was awesome. Nobody gets that excited when I preach. No, no, I'm, 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 I'm kidding, but I'm not. There's something about a testimony that makes God real, touch, physical, uh, almost like he's there. I can, it's tangible in front of me, and, and it becomes more real to you because of what somebody has experienced in their life.